All right, HCC, how are you doing today? Yeah, three of us are awesome. I'm so glad to hear it, but I'm so glad to be with you. I have missed you. I haven't been with you for the last couple of weeks. We're so, so blessed to have our friend Eric Tonis here a couple of weeks ago teaching in our series. And then last week, campus pastors, Pastor Brian, our growth pastor, was uh, teaching here at Victorville on this, this series of all about this idea of what happens around the table when you've got Jesus and you've got good food. And uh, I'm just telling you, those are two topics that I could talk all day about and get real excited about. And we're going to see another layer of that today. And I hope this series has been helpful to you really with the prime goal of being able to say, this is more of, my, of what it is to understand the character and the nature of who God is, because that's what Jesus keeps showing us in these interactions, in these times around the table, in what he teaches and how he heals and how people worship. It's been so good. And so we have another in that sequence today. So whether you're here with us at Powell Auditorium here at Victorville, whether you're joining us online, I'm so glad that you're here. If you have a Bible, you can make your way to Luke chapter 19. Every one of these narratives have been from the gospel of Luke. So we kind of pick up on the fact that Luke loved not only Jesus, but he loved food too. And all these uh, times around the table are all found in Luke's gospel. Now we'll dive in there in just a second. One of the things that we try to do on however the occasion lands based on just kind of what the series is and where we're at is we try to give you um, resources that could be helpful. And it was really great. Jody did a great job hosting tonight. And Jody came to me about a month ago and said, hey, Todd, I don't know if you know of this book, but it's called Taste and See. And it's by a really great theologian and speaker named Margaret Feinberg. And what Margaret does in this book is she shares some really great stories of things that were on her pursuit to find the best meal. She shares with you some really great Bible about what the Bible teaches about that particular place where she went or the kind of food that she's preparing. And then I will say too, it has some really great recipes in the back as well. So she will not only tell you all this great information about a particular dish or a particular thing that comes from a part of the world, but then she'll make it and she'll tell you how you can as well. So if that's something curious to you, maybe you have a foodie in your life that you would just go, man, this would be such a great thing for them. They'd love it. Then again, Again, we, we get no res, uh, residuals or anything from anyone. We just like putting good resources in your hand. Taste and see, Margaret Feinberg, and you can find it on Amazon or Christian Book or whatever you, wherever you buy your books. But uh, a good resource in this series for sure. So this is where we pick it up. We have been seeing Jesus in these spaces where when you think about what you are, who you are around the table with other people is you're often more relaxed, you're often conversational, you're often a little bit even reflective, thinking about how the day has been, thinking about who's there with you and how you wanna make sure they feel included. And the food is honestly just a medium for all those other good things. And so what we're connecting with one experience at a time is the person of Christ. The God man who is demonstrating who God is like in these mundane, very normal circumstances. But every meal we've looked at has been anything but normal. But today what we do is we actually move forward 
from the place where our our campus pastors and Brian were teaching last week when Jesus said, invite people into your home who can't do anything in return for you. There's no gain. It's not like you're gonna invite them to their, your home so you can wait for the invite to get to theirs. They have nothing to offer the poor, the blind, the lame, the crippled. Invite them into your home. Jesus is going to practice what he preaches from last week's narrative to this week's in Luke 19. But the interesting thing is Jesus doesn't have a home. It's hard for him to invite anyone into his home. So he does the opposite. He invites himself into someone's home. And we're gonna see that someone, though maybe not blind or lame or crippled or poor, was absolutely abhorrent to everyone who knew him. So Jesus knew there was nothing for him to gain. There was no social win by going to Zacchaeus's house that day. But he does, and we see a powerful display of not only Jesus's love and compassion, but we see a powerful response to the invitation to follow Jesus. So let's dial in and look in your notes. We'll begin with number one, where is always a good place to begin. Number one, seekers are searching for Jesus. Seekers are searching for Jesus. We pick it up in Luke 19, verse one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him because Jesus was coming that way. Now we picked it up at Luke 19, verse one. So the beginning of a chapter, the, the very preceding narrative though is the end of Luke 18. And in Luke 18, we actually read as Jesus was on his way to Jericho. Jericho is where he arrives in chapter 19. But on the way to Jericho, he is walking by and there is this incredibly annoying blind man over here on the side of the road. Now, if you're saying, Todd, why are you being so mean to blind men? I'm not, he just was. As they were walking through this area, he's crying out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowds, it wasn't Jesus. Jesus wasn't annoyed, but the crowds sure were because they're thinking, hey, we got places to be. Jesus is a big deal, let's keep going. And they tell the guy, shush, he's got no time for you. Just be quiet. But this guy is realizing that he has, the, the, the reputation of Jesus has preceded himself. He knows this guy is no ordinary teacher or rabbi. This guy heals people of stuff, things like blindness. So he cries out all the more, son of David, Jesus, do something for me. And Jesus stops tells the people, move to the side. I wanna go see this guy. And he goes over and he heals this man. This man's sight is restored. And you know the funny thing about biblical narratives is I just told you something that never happens. All right, there are people in the high desert who cannot see, they are blind. And if someone came to town and if they got in proximity with this person and this person could heal them and no longer have to use the white stick and be absolutely vivid in color and clarity, 
we would all be losing our minds. But I just read something like, oh yeah, Jesus went over and healed the blind beggar. And then he moved on to Jericho. And we're just like, oh, let's not read the miracles of the Bible as though it's like, yeah, and? Because <laughs> that's a big deal. And Jesus is constantly demonstrating he is God. If you're here tonight and you're kind of thinking, you know, I'm interested in Jesus and man, he had some really thought-provoking things to say, did some things that were kind of counter-cultural, but but you're kind of going, I'm not really sure if I could say he was God. Well, let me tell you, not only does he do his actions, like healing a blind man, demonstrate this to be true, but it's the things he said about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Before Abraham was, I am. These are the kind of statements Jesus made about himself. And these are the kind of things that Jesus did that caused people to go, wait a second, this is something different. Now we say all that to say that's what's just happened. So the crowds have not only, this is the wild thing, the crowds are not only aware and in a bit of awe, this guy just healed that guy who now can see, but they remember that guy was like, no one, anyone, anything to do with. Shut up. Jesus is busy. He's got places to go. So the crowd has this kind of weird feeling about Jesus's value system already as we walk into the city of Jericho. And we walk in and the first things we read in Luke 19 is that there's a guy in this city named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. Now, when you hear that, you put in your mind, you have these two little equal signs and you see IRS. And I'm gonna tell you, if you have like some kind of, you know, frustration, anger, I just got my tax returns today, I've got all kinds of reason to be, no. But I mean, if, if, you, if you've got reasons to have frustration with the IRS, let me tell you, this is on a whole new level of absolutely wicked. Because this is what happened. This is how tax collectors literally made a living. I'm reading from a commentary by extorting more money from the people than they had contracted to pay the Roman government. You see, our own government taxes us, but we don't live under another government who's actually in control like this time in the world Israel did under Roman rule. So let's play it out this way. There's this guy named Pete. Pete lives here in the high desert. By the way, Pete's my guy for everything. So if you're like, I thought Pete was that. No, Pete's everybody. So Pete lives in the high desert. And and you didn't know this, but the people down in Panama, man, that whole canal thing left them a little frustrated. They get all their military might together. They march north and they completely destroy our country. Panama is large and in charge. So Panama, as it gets domain and control over the United States, Panama figures out there's gonna be a way that we're going to keep these people in check. And one of those is financially. So this is what they've said. Every household in the high desert, every individual in that household owes the Panamanian government $1,000 a person. But they don't have enough people to cover all the high desert, so they hire Pete one of our own. Pete's lived here for 20 years, but they hire Pete and they say, Pete, for every household, you need to give us $1,000 per person as a tax on this people. And whatever you get above and beyond that is yours. 
So Pete's going, well, number one, it's never fun to be the tax guy, but number two, I've got all the power of the Panamanian government behind me, and he can charge you whatever he wants. And so Pete is dialing up the bill, and $1,000 per person per household just became $2,000. And all of a sudden, you're going, Bro, you're not a Panamanian guy who's here, who's a part of that government, who's trying to, who's done all this stuff to us. You're one of our own. And yet you're treating us this way. You're making gobs of money doing no work off of us who are out in the fields, out at the refineries, doing the stuff we do. And you're skimming off the top, keeping it all for yourself. And Pete would go, "Uh uh-huh. That was Zacchaeus. It's exactly how he made his money. You noted he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief. So he made money off of everybody else's money, of the tax collectors and what they took. This dude is filthy rich. And Jericho is a city of great commerce. So he found ways, I'm sure, to tax people coming in and going out who didn't even live in Jericho, but a sales tax he would have surely imposed. This dude was absolutely fat wealthy and absolutely hated. Many of you growing up in a church environment would remember that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I think their version in the day would have been, Zacchaeus was a blankety blank man. And a whole lot of other words you shouldn't say at church or anywhere else, you would have attached to Zacchaeus. This dude was hated for good reason. But I want you to see something interesting about him. It tells us his name, it tells us what he does, and then it tells us what he wanted. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. That phrase is two words in the original Greek language and it it demonstrates, these two words demonstrate an intense sense of intentionality, of, of purpose. This word wanted means to seek in order to find as if getting to the bottom of a matter. I don't just, I wanna understand this. I wanna know what this is about. And the word to see is to see intently. So Zacchaeus had an intense desire to want to know. Word had gotten out. Jesus's fame was wide and far. I want to see for myself who this guy is. And no, he didn't want to sit and discuss theology. He didn't have a personal crisis that we're aware of, of why he wanted to see Jesus. He didn't need healing. That wasn't on the table. He just wanted to see Jesus. I want to intently understand who this Rabbi is and what he's all about. And when people are seeking answers, they do things to find the answers and they don't let small things get in the way. So this wee little man got ahead of the crowd, knew the route Jesus was taking, climbs up a tree and he's up in this tree so he can see as the, as the parade goes by, he'll have a bird's eye view at seeing Jesus. I applaud his intentionality. I applaud his creativity to not just kind of be this high to all the crowds and never get to see it. He is intent and wants a glimpse of Jesus, wants to understand who he is. You may be here today and you may have that same posture. I'm not not totally sure 
on all these things about Jesus, but I am seeking. And I have been seeking through the lens of lots of other world religions. I've dabbled in Buddhism. I've checked out what the Mormons say. I've looked into the Muslim faith. I am curious and interested. And I have an intentionality of the fact that I wanna see. And if that's you and you're here today or you're watching online, I'm so glad you're here. You are so welcome because we would be absolutely just so grateful to be able to share with you anything that would be helpful for the Jesus that we owe everything to. So you're in the right place. And like Zacchaeus, you're gonna find out more of who this Jesus is as we dive more and more into this passage. Let's keep reading. Number two, Jesus is seeking seekers. Jesus is seeking seekers. You're like, Todd, the depth of these points tonight is profound. I'm blown away. Chapter 19, verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, meaning where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. They might not have said it that, you know, like, ah, but at least whispery anger. I love the urgency that Jesus uses. He looks up at Zacchaeus, knows his name, by the way. They haven't been introduced yet. Zacchaeus, you must come down immediately. I must go to your house today. I must have a meal with you. And you notice not only Jesus' sense of urgency to call him down, you see Zacchaeus' response. He came down immediately, was glad to welcome him into his home. This quick interchange of connection, of a desire to understand and a desire to share, to offer. You know, it sounds like that all sounds good, right? Here we are, we talk about a place at the table, this idea of eating a meal together. This sounds like a great sense of hospitality and a great sense of desire to want to come and be known. But I'm telling you, the crowds sure didn't think that's what was going on. Knowing how incredibly greedy, knowing how incredibly ruthless, people no doubt had lost homes and lost businesses because of Zacchaeus. This is no guy who's just on the peripheral of society. He's a bane. They hate this guy for good reason. He's been horrible. And when they hear of all the people in Jericho that Jesus is going to have a meal with that day, they're thinking in their heads first thought, Jesus says, I, I want to be in your house today. They're all thinking, when is the last time anyone wanted to be at Zacchaeus' house? He's a lonely dude because he's so hated. Then they process this. They begin to think in their minds, Jesus, your agenda is bizarro to us. First, a guy who's a distracting, annoying, blind guy, you take time to go and heal when we've got an agenda. Secondly, of all the people in Jericho that you could have a meal with today, we would have thought you wanted to sit down maybe with a, a strong social or political leader and share with them your agenda for bringing change to Israel. 
Or maybe that you'd wanna sit down and, and have some intercourse with someone who's really a religious elite and talk about the law, talk about the Torah, have this really powerful theological conversation. Or at least a good Jewish family who just are good people that would love to welcome you in their home. No, you cast all that aside and you wanna have lunch with the guy that everybody hates. Come on, Jesus, what are you about? You don't make any sense to us. All the things that would normally seem obvious to us, you keep picking everything different. What is wrong with you? I want you to think about if we are called to be followers of Jesus, if we're called to, this word I'm reading a book right now, to apprentice him, use that as a verb, then what you're seeing as we're reading this narrative is not only what Jesus did 2,000 years ago in a city named Jericho with a guy named Zacchaeus, you're seeing yourself in the story in terms of who Jesus would want you to be, what he'd want you to model and follow as his example. So then let's do that math. Let's think about the people in your relational world. We talk at HCC about an oikos, people that got a supernaturally and strategically placed into your world that are of all kinds of different persuasions and lifestyles and economic, social, racial, all these different people in your life. And he's done it with great intent. Some of these people know and love Jesus and you have this great option to, and an opportunity to encourage them. Other people don't. And you have the opportunity to be a source of Jesus' influence in their lives. But quite often in all of our relational worlds, because of just how we do life, we have people in our lives that other people think very lowly about. Like the neighbor that you have, who six months ago up and left his wife and kids and just went to go live on the wild side. He's come to a place where he deeply regrets it. He knows he can't undo it and he feels filled with shame. And he texts you and he says, would you be willing to sit down with me? I don't know what to do with my life. If you go and have coffee with him, there are gonna be some people in your life that are gonna think less of you because you did. Because of the horrible thing he did to his family. There's somebody at school and the way her reputation has been thrown in the mud, who she's dated, who she hasn't. And she's just wondering, is there a way out? Is there a way to have peace and not have this always this lingering and just this fog over her life? And she reaches out to you in class and she says, you know, I just, I need help. I don't know what to do. Everywhere I go, I'm reminded of my past. When you sit down with her, at lunch, there are gonna be some people who think a lot less of you because you do. There's the extended family member who's been an addict for two years, just a mess, constantly just living an out of control life because that's what addictions do. But he reaches out to you, can't talk to his own parents, can't talk to grandparents, but you're an aunt or an uncle and he reaches out to you and he just says, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't even know where to pick up the pieces. There are gonna be people in your extended family who are gonna think less of you because you entertain that conversation. 
what I'm trying to help you see, what I'm trying to help me see, is that what would have been so easy for Jesus to do, it was one thing to set aside the agenda for a few minutes and heal an annoying blind guy. It'd be a whole nother thing though, to be entertained by the guy that everyone in town hates. And what Jesus was willing to do was to not be stuck in what people thought about him or what people were gonna say. People paid attention to those in his life, those who came across his path who were seeking. And he knew that's exactly who Zacchaeus was. Look in your notes. When someone from your world who isn't highly regarded by others is seeking help, when seeking the hope that you have from Jesus, follow Jesus's example and focus on the seeker, not the opinions of the crowds. And guaranteed in every workplace, guaranteed in every team, guaranteed in, in every extended family, there are people that no one wants anything to do with. And when those people, especially when they begin to show an interest, a need, they're looking and they're wondering where help is coming from. Man, we ought to be the very first people waiting in line to step forward and say, let's talk. How could I be of help to you? These first two points, we said they weren't profound. Seekers are searching for Jesus and Jesus is seeking seekers. It might feel like a little bit, like it feels like to me whenever I've gone to a pro or a college game, I end up finding people that have two sets of signs. This is the first one. I see this group every time I go, every game I'm at, you know, hey man, I need tickets. But here's the wild thing. Literally 10 feet over there is a guy holding this sign. I have tickets. And I just chuckle every time I walk past them and all I've ever wanted to do is, hey, Frank and hey, Bill, can I introduce you to one another? I think what you have is what he needs. You guys would be great. And you know, I know there's better reasons why they, they don't become friends and share tickets, but it feels that way. Have tickets, need tickets. I just want you to be friends. I wanna introduce you. The funny thing is that's in some ways actually what it's like in this whole world that we get to live in as intentional influencers in our oikos, in our relational worlds. Jesus doesn't need to be introduced to anyone. He breathed them into existence. But it's the people in our relational world who need to be introduced to the savior who loves them. Introduced to the one who redeemed them from their sin and shame and guilt. The one who actually has hope for them in this life and beyond. That's the introduction and we have this great privilege of being able to make those introductions in the people's lives that we get to live with. If you're here today, maybe you can really or identify a lot with Zacchaeus. You've lived in such a way that you just don't even know how to pick up the pieces, but you know there's something out there. You know there's hope. You know there's an answer to the problem. You believe there's forgiveness, so you just don't know where or how. And the interesting thing is I wanna help you with something. I'm gonna do an experiment. I haven't walked the room and I don't know who's where, but I want you to help me. This is a participatory thing, so get ready. Some of you are here today. Some of you watching online, you'll have to participate in a little bit of a different way, but you're here today and, and actually this is your story. 
It might not have been the degree of everybody hates me, you know, like they did Zacchaeus, but this is what was true of you is you were a seeker. Meaning you didn't just come to know Jesus the first time someone shared him with you. Or maybe someone didn't share Jesus with you for an awful long time and and you did check out other world religions. You did look inside and try to find something that had meaning and hope. And you would say, yeah, I was actually on a quest, on a, a journey to try to find truth, to try to find love, to try to find a way. And then you cross paths with Jesus and you realize that was who you were looking for all along. If you would say that's your story, that you would say at one time you were a seeker and you were lost, but now you're found, would you just do me a favor? Would you just stand up? If that's really your story, just stand up real quick. I love it. So look around the room. Stay standing just for a second. Look around the room. This is what I'm talking about. If you're here tonight and you're going, you know, I'm searching, but I don't know if it can be found. I'm searching, but I've come up cold every time. I don't know if there really is hope. Everyone standing in this space would say, I thought that maybe one time too, but I found him. Go ahead and sit down, you guys. That's so cool. I love the visual representation of that. And the cool thing is, as we move into the last part of the story, if Zacchaeus was sitting with us today, he'd have stood up now too. Because that's how the story finishes in a really cool and profound way. Oh, by the way, I don't want to forget this verse. Revelation 3.20, look how well this connects the dot, not only with who Jesus is, but even our series about food. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus isn't just out there, he's outside the door of your heart. He's there and he's not just even standing there on the little video camera you have for a doorbell, he's actually knocking, making himself known, wanting you to know him, to invite him inside and to sit down and have a meal together, to be at home with you. I love that verse and I love it connected to our series so much. That's Jesus's desire. He is seeking seekers. Finally today, number three, seekers become followers when they respond to Jesus's invitation. Seekers become followers when they respond to Jesus' invitation. Last three verses in our passage, but Zacchaeus, verse eight, he stood up and he said to the Lord, this is at this gathering at his home, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, simple words, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Man, that verse, Luke nineteen ten, that should be tattooed somewhere in your brain. This was the mission of Jesus. Everyone that day was confused. Why are you leaving to go over and heal this guy? Why on God's green earth would you go to lunch with that guy? Their agenda was completely upside down from Jesus's. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. And if that's why Jesus came, that's why we're here too. That's how it goes. So look at this response. What we don't know is what happened at lunch, right? We just hear that, that this man was entertained. We hear the crowds grumble. The next thing we hear is something over the course of the conversation as Jesus is speaking to Zacchaeus. He comes with this incredibly strong, just eruption of of covenant, of of commitment he's gonna make. And did you notice it had nothing to do with Jesus, wherever you go, I'm gonna follow you but it had everything to do with what he loved most, his money. This is where the commitment comes. This was the thing that was keeping him from following God at all. The thing that allowed him to have no problem to betray his people, the covenant people of God, in order to get more money. This passage is powerful related to the greed factor that's in all of our culture. What would you do for X amount of money? That's the question that Zacchaeus had asked years earlier and kept answering, I would do that. I would betray them. I would cross this line. He'd walk that all the way out. But no matter how far he'd gone, no matter how much he had lusted over more and more, He heard a message of forgiveness that day. He heard a message of love. He heard a message of redemption. This could happen for you. So he makes this incredibly strong promise. I'm gonna give half of everything. Think about how much money this guy had. He's gonna give half of everything to the poor. Now, he had not necessarily specifically robbed the poor because they didn't have a whole lot to tax. But he's gonna give half of what he owns to take care of those in poverty. And then secondly, he's gonna repay four times what he's stolen from people. Number one, the dude had ledgers. So he knew exactly how much he'd rip people off. And so this guy must have just oodles of money that he's now going to dispense with. But watch, what money had done before was such an incredibly selfish thing, now becomes incredibly selfless. What became something to make his life better, he was now going to give away to make other people's lives better. Complete flip, 180 degree turn with what he had thought about his wealth and now how he was gonna use it. And by the way, remember the crowds that were mumbling and grumbling? I can't believe you're going to that sinner's house today. For every one of them that he had ripped off, I bet they were pretty happy Jesus went to his house that day. Four times back, I'm ready, Zach, here we go. So the residual effect is fascinating, but it shows this incredible, what we call repentance. Repentance, going one direction and then turning around 180 degrees, going another. Moving towards all that greed and wealth could do for him, a complete self-absorbed life, turning around. I'm gonna give it away, I'm gonna make people's lives better. And Jesus says, just by that commitment, this guy's been saved today. This guy's included in the family of God because of the way he's responded in repentance to the thing he loved more than anything else. It's such a powerful thing. You were waiting for, when did he ask Jesus into his heart? (laughs) When did he say, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm gonna follow you. He didn't say any of those things. 
But he said the biggest stronghold that was keeping him from doing anything honoring to God, he was willing to set aside. And Jesus knew the rest of the story was actually gonna go and now he's gonna follow me. He's gonna live this life of selflessness and seeking to do good for others rather than all about himself. But here's the thing I really want you to see. If you're reading this narrative with me today, it's in a vacuum, we're just picking it up at Luke 19, but watch this, just one chapter earlier, just a few verses before what we've read tonight. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not, I'm sorry, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not, shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony on your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I want you to note the things that were true of both this man and Zacchaeus and the things that were very different. They were both Jewish. They were both wealthy. That's about where it ends. Both Jewish, both wealthy. We already know about Zacchaeus. He had gained his wealth through horribly um, just uh, brazen ways that rip people off. This guy, we don't know anything about how he gained his wealth, so we don't know if it was moral, immoral, we don't know any of that, but we also know he was a very, not only good religious person in terms of the things he had done, he kept the law in many ways, but we also know he's a religious teacher, so he had high religious status and wealth, etc. Simple question. They have very few things in common and a lot in contrast, but simple question, which one in an interaction with Jesus demonstrated that they were gonna follow Jesus's way? Not the moral religious one. The immoral, brazen, hated one. He's the one who said, money is no longer gonna be my God. I'm laying it aside. I want nothing to do with it. I want to follow you. In your notes, why is this? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Like he said, not people who have their act together or who are presentable to God, but those who recognize their need for a savior and call out to him who want to see him. That's who Jesus came for. People who know they're lost. Not people who would be like, yeah, and I can make this brief adjustment in my life and include Jesus, and that would be great too. Paul says it so well. He reminds the Corinthian Christians of who they were before they'd come to the gospel, and he reminds them that they were not people that anyone was drawn to. 1 Corinthians 1.26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world. Watch. And the despised things. Insert Zacchaeus. He was a despised man. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Watch. Why? 
so that no one may boast before him. The rich man who was told, you've kept the law, great, sell your stuff, follow me. Man, Jesus, I wanna add you to my religiosity. Jesus, I wanna add you to my wealth. Zacchaeus, all the wealth in the world doesn't matter if my life doesn't have meaning and hope. I push that all aside. I'm all in, I want Jesus. That's what this passage is saying. It is because of him, because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, not keeping the law like the first guy, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When you think of people in our recent generation who we just go, man, this guy had it together. The guy lived such a holy life. Billy Graham comes at the top of any of our lists. Top two, top three for sure. Listen to what he said before he died about why he was gonna be in heaven. I am not going to heaven because I have preached to great crowds or read the Bible many times. I'm going to heaven just like the thief on the cross who said in the last moment, Lord, remember me. It's all I got. I have nothing to offer God that he's gonna be wowed by or that he needs. Just please remember me. If you're a seeker, who would say, Todd, I've been looking. I just haven't been good at finding yet. And I saw all these people that stood up tonight that would say that was their story. They were seeking. They dabbled in this and tried that or they just kept their arms at length but were looking all kinds of things in the world but they found. Can I tell you, along with Zacchaeus, who if he was sitting here tonight, he'd been the first one who popped up. You can be too. It's a simple response of admitting that you're a sinner, something you already knew when you walked in the door, believing that this Jesus that we've read about today, he didn't just teach wonderful things. He didn't just heal blind people. He went to a cross. He died next to that guy that Billy Graham talked about. And he died to cover your sins once and for all. But like we're gonna celebrate in a couple weeks, he rose from the dead, conquering death and sin reigns victoriously in heaven today. Believe that Jesus is the only savior available, not one of many, not one of a few. And see, choose. Do what Zacchaeus did. Make a commitment to follow Jesus. Whatever is now sitting as the God in your heart, this thing matters, this person matters most to me. They need to be moved off the throne and choose to say, Jesus, I want you to sit there and I wanna follow you, I'm all in. And maybe you're here like those who stood tonight and though the seeker path wasn't so much yours, I wouldn't say that was the way my life worked out, hearing about Jesus at a young age and just believing this is who he is. But nonetheless, we all come to this place of saying, God, we love you. We're so grateful to be yours, but we're grateful to be his. And while we're on this earth, we wanna keep living the way he lived. He came to seek and save the lost. So you have an oikos. Are you being intentional in the way you pray for them? Are you being intentional in the way you invest in their lives that you just wanna get to know them, share good things with them? We talked earlier in this series about taking that challenge of inviting someone to sit down at a meal with you 
and just see what happens in that conversation. Are you intentional to invite them to something like our Easter services in a couple weeks? These are all things that we can actively do and it's the way that we get to join and partner with Jesus as he is seeking and saving the lost. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and I'm just love, love, love this story. I love it for so many reasons. Love it because it reminds me that no one is too far from God. Man, everyone in Jericho would have put Zacchaeus at the top of the list. We have people in our lives that we feel like that. God, they're just so far from you. Even an atheist, just, just an angry one, just doesn't want anything to do with me, wants to debate me, so far from you. Yeah. So far from you now. But God, you have this powerful way of drawing people to yourself and you use people to save people. So God, we wanna be agents of that rescue. We wanna be a people who are a part of that, that saving, that salvation. So this week, God, would you raise up our radar? Would you make us alert and aware of seekers in our lives? God, maybe some who are nothing like Zacchaeus, they're just the best guy on the block, the best person in the office, but they're still far from you. Give us intentional words, intentional actions this week to have the opportunity to keep demonstrating Jesus to them. Others are like Zacchaeus in our lives and they are just so difficult. They are on the outskirts. Nobody wants anything to do with them. God, give us your love that we might give that away. You love them. They are image bearers of you. Help us live and love the way you would. And if you're here tonight and you're that seeker and you're saying, Todd, I've never taken a step, that invitation to respond to Jesus's invitation in the gospel to admit, to believe, and to choose, but you're ready to today. Would you simply pray a prayer of commitment? Whatever that God that is sitting on the throne of your heart is, tell Jesus that that God's gonna be displaced and that seat is for him. And today begins a brand new life. Father, thank you that you came to seek and save the lost. We are all, all recipients of that mercy. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.